I suspect we've all been through a scenario that might be something like this. You, um, you share something, some deep secret in your heart with a close friend. And you, um, you, you d- describe it in the context of the confidentiality of that conversation. And then three, four, five days later, you start hearing things from people about what you said to this friend. Or perhaps you've invested yourself in, in uh, someone younger and less experienced. And, and you, you've mentored them and you've worked with them and, and you've poured your life into them. And then they go out on their own and you begin to hear things coming back to you that are not so kind about who you are and how you treated them and what you did. There are a lot of things in life that are painful to us. We all face them. We struggle with with all kinds of painful experiences. I suspect there is little more painful than being betrayed. There is little more difficult to deal with than someone who betrays our trust. And this is exactly where we find David in this 55th Psalm. If you listen to David's words, he, he is sharing the, the pain and the agony of his heart. Beginning in verse 12, he said, It's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. You get to verse Uh, 20, as for my companion, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but in his heart is war. His words are as soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. David is wrestling with being betrayed. He's wrestling with this struggle of, of investing himself in friendship. And that person has turned on him and he is feeling the agony of it. When you read the psalm, you get the sense of David's emotional uh, struggle. I mean, he's an emotional wreck. At the beginning of this psalm, he says, uh, My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me. I can't stop shaking. I mean, this is, it doesn't sound like David, does it? That sounds sort of like you and me. I don't often think that I'm in the same league as David. And yet here is David expressing the pain and the agony and the fear and the anxiety because of what has happened to him. And his response to that is as natural as our response tends to be when we feel betrayed and burdened. We're in in pain. What does David do? He wants to run. I mean, isn't that what we want to do? You know, we're in the middle of a crisis, we're in the middle of of feeling this deep pain, and we think to ourselves, if we could just remove ourselves from the situation, if I could just get away from this person, if I could get away from the people who are saying these things, it would be better. And so we remove ourselves. Now, there is something to be said for some distance that can be helpful. You know, it's difficult to sit in the middle of a situation and to hear all the things coming at us that with every one of them, it's like a dagger into our souls. It's hard to just keep taking that. 
And so there is something to be said for distance that is good. But the truth of the matter is, if you've ever tried to run from a problem, you soon discover that the problem just goes with you. Because the problem's in here. The problem's up here. The issue is really less about what's out here as to what we're experiencing in here. And so you, you see someone that triggers all the feelings again. Or you get into a circumstance and everything comes back to you. Or you're just walking along someday and all of a sudden it all just pops back into your head and all the emotion comes flooding back to you. And David says, if, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I'd fly away and then I'd rest. I'd fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. I mean, he really wants to get away. He wants to get into the wilderness. How quickly I would escape far from this wild storm of hatred. David's not so different from us. But the thing that's really, I think, troubling David here in this psalm is not just that he's been betrayed. But it's that because of that betrayal, other people are being hurt. As you read through this psalm, you find that David says it's not just about him, but it's about what's going on in the city. We don't know what the psalm is connected to, what event in David's life. Some of the psalms tell us. This, this psalm does not tell us. But it, it makes me wonder. It sounds a lot like 2 Samuel 15, where Absalom has, uh, gathers together soldiers. And after a few years of, of creating a spirit of insurrection, instigates a coup against David and forces David to flee Jerusalem. And he takes over the city. But the hardest thing about this for David is that David's closest confidant, Ahithophel, turns on David and becomes the closest advisor to Absalom, David's enemy. And he is telling Absalom all the secrets of David. He's telling Absalom all the weaknesses of David. And it makes me wonder if this isn't the event that David is describing here. And what ends up happening, as Samuel tells us, is that the city ends up in chaos. And people are persecuted. and, And people are taken advantage of. And there is immorality and there's just chaos in the city. And the reality of betrayal is that it's never just about two people. If someone is willing to betray another person whether it's just out of feeling anger or they gain some wealth or some fame or some power or something comes back to them. If, you're, if someone's willing to betray someone, they're probably willing to betray anyone. And it creates this spirit that is so much bigger than just David and this person. The whole city is in shambles and chaos. I suspect David, as he's watching this unfold, is thinking to himself, man, I so want to get in there and take care of this thing. I want to get in and rescue. Because that's what David is, right? I mean, David's a rescuer. He's a warrior. He's a fighter. Think of all the stories we know of David. And that's who David is. I mean, this picture in the psalm, really, it it doesn't really feel like David. He feels so vulnerable. 
But David is power and strength. And as I was thinking about that, it, it made me think to back when I was a child and we, I come home from school and there were two shows that I always watched. We lived in southern Indiana and we, Indianapolis TV station, Channel 4, in the afternoon would do Popeye and Janie with cartoons and The Adventures of Superman. Some of you are old enough to remember The Adventures of Superman. Black and white, George Reeves, you know, not quite as campy as the old Batman show, but kind of close to that. And, and what struck me is, I, and I went back, I looked at this, got the wording right. But beginning of every episode, the announcer would say, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to earth with power and abilities for be far beyond those of mortal man. Superman who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel with his bare hands, and who disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Right? I mean, yeah, isn't that David? Right? I mean, I'm thinking, now that's David. I can hear the announcer going, here is King David, stronger than a lion, more powerful than a nine-foot giant, able to conquer his enemies with a single blow. This is your King David. I mean, this is who David is. And yet, what do we find him doing? Lord, I can't. I can't do it. And you and I are continually tempted to take into our own hands the stuff that happens to us. We're continually tempted to think, I can solve this. I can do this. I can make this happen. I can figure this out. And we have all kinds of plans for doing that. David reminds us in this psalm that the only answer truly is God. And so he begins the psalm by saying, Lord, I'm calling out to you. Lord, I need you. Hear my prayer. Because I can't. I can't. And I believe you can. When you read this prayer, you get the sense of the agony of David's spirit. Listen to my prayer, O God. Don't ignore my cry for help. The message says, don't act like you don't hear me. I love the way Eugene Peterson always has a way of turning a phrase, right? Listen, answer me. I'm overwhelmed by my troubles. You almost get the sense that David is down on his knees. He's begging God to hear him, which seems like an odd thing to do. You would think he would just say, Lord, help me. And that's all he would need. There is a sense almost in which David is badgering God. He's begging God. He's pleading with God. And it may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, but sometimes you just have to do that. Our hearts are so in such anxiety, such burden, such a struggle that we, we just need to pour out our hearts to God. And the great thing about it is that God never is never wearied by our prayers. It's not as if God doesn't hear him. That the, uh, David's pleading isn't for God's sake. It's for David's sake. Sometimes you just have to be, you just have to pour out your heart to God. And you just have to let God know the despair that you feel. And God isn't disappointed by that. 
He realizes that as human beings, we need to do that sometimes. The depth of our pain and our agony is so deep that it's not enough just to say, Lord, help me and walk on. There is this struggle and this battle. First of all, I think David is wrestling with really turning it all over to God. He wants to be the rescuer. He wants to be the answer to the problem. And he knows that he can't. So he says, Lord, I can't do this. I need you. And he pours out his heart to God. God is never disappointed by our honesty. God is never disappointed or wearied by our honesty. When we pray, sometimes, I used to do this, I would pray in such a way that I would tell God what I thought he wanted to hear, even if that wasn't what was in my heart. As if God doesn't know what's in my heart. The very fact that we're honest with God acknowledges something about who God is. That he is big enough and caring enough and loving enough to take it. And a part of being honest with God is not just telling God we need your help, but it's also sometimes telling God what we want him to do. And David is not shy about telling God what he wants him to do. I suspect as we're reading along the psalm, there's a party that's going, yikes, that makes me uncomfortable. Right? I mean, he says in verse 15, let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive, for evil makes its home within them. You move to verse 23. You, O God, will send the wicked down to the pit of destruction. Murderers and liars will die young. Now, that just doesn't sound very Christian, does it? You got to remember, David is in agony of soul here. And he's just being honest. And I think God would rather have us be honest about what we're really feeling than pretend that we're not. I mean, what does pretending get us? It just drives down our struggle even more. And the pathway to getting out of that and getting through that is saying, God, I need your help. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I'm really, really hurting here. Now, I think it's important to, to understand David's prayer in the context of not just, it's not just about David. Remember, this is about the city. This is about injustice. David isn't just praying because of his own pain. He's praying for what he's seeing taking place in Jerusalem. And all the people who are being hurt And quite frankly, injustice ought to elicit strong emotions from us about evil people. If we can read about people who are taking advantage of the most vulnerable in our society and and put it down and not think another thing about it, that's not being godlike. That's being apathetic. It ought to bother us deeply. When we know that there are people who are living their lives without the knowledge and the joy and the blessing of Christ. It ought to bother us deeply the things that that people will do to some of the most vulnerable members of our society. It ought to concern us and bother us and elicit strong emotion when we read about refugees who have no place to go. 
and are being abused and taken advantage of and manipulated and hurt even more. It's one of the things that that triggered my thoughts about this project we started back in May of the Matthew 820 project of trying to raise some funds and, and raise awareness and offer our prayers for refugees around the world because we can't just sit back and do nothing. And it ought to bother us because I think it bothers God. God loves people. He's not apathetic toward anyone. And being honest about that is important and it's good. But ultimately, David says, it's not so much about what I want. It's about believing that you, God, are just. You'll do what's right. David says, God... You do to people what needs to be done. The hard part of that is that we don't always get to see it. You know, often we don't get to see God be just. Sometimes we do, but often we don't. And we have to believe that God who is just, that God is who he says he is, and that the day is coming when God will set the record straight. And we trust in that. I mean, do, do we really want to worship a God who doesn't care about justice? Who doesn't care that the things that are happening to people in this world? I don't really want to worship a God like that. And sometimes it makes us uncomfortable when we read about the judgment and the wrath of God in the scriptures. And there are times where we read those things and we think, boy, I wish that wasn't there. Really? It's not us passing judgment. It is God, the God of the God who created all things, God who is holy and perfect and loving. And we're not talking about God just arbitrarily judging people. This is God who knows people's hearts, who is the great judge of all the earth. And he will do what is right. It's the good news of the gospel. God is not apathetic toward sin. God is not apathetic toward pain and injustice. God is at work even when we don't see it. And it's hard when we don't see it. I think one of the underlying things that's going on in this psalm is David says on a few different occasions... God, rescue me. You will rescue me. You will help me. You will come to my aid. You will do what is right. You will keep your saints, your godly people from falling. And that may mean that that David is going to be restored, if that's the case of the scenario of of the psalm, that he's going to be restored to his kingdom, that things are going to be set right, that the evildoers are going to be taken care of. It may be that, and I think that's probably a part of it. But I also think David is saying, God... I am coming to see that the greatest threat to me and the greatest threat to my people may not be this enemy. It may be bitterness in my heart. If you think back to moments when you felt betrayed and that deep hurt and that deep pain, I suspect that the greatest struggle is bitterness. It's hanging on to it. 
It's not wanting to let go of it. It's lashing out at people who hurt us. We're going to let them feel what we feel. And in those moments, we always find ways to justify our behavior, right? And we always find ways to say, well, they deserved it, or I'm just, I'm just teaching them a lesson, or maybe now they can feel what I've felt. But I guarantee you, anything that's done from a spirit of bitterness is going to end up bad. Bitterness never takes us down a road to anything good. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, get rid of all bitterness. Be filled with the Spirit. And when he writes to the Galatians and he says, the fruit of the Spirit is, one of those things is not bitterness. It's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those things are the opposite of bitterness. I think it is probably the greatest work of the evil one when we are feeling pain that he just slowly and subtly creates a spirit of bitterness in us toward the people who have hurt us. And when we think about the bigger picture of injustice in the world, it's so easy to become cynical and bitter about the world. It's never going to change. Nothing's ever going to happen. Those people are just going to keep getting away with that. There's absolutely nothing we can do. And in the moments where you will see through history, where people have have risen up in rebellion against injustice, when they've done it from a spirit of bitterness, every single time, people who have been persecuted become persecutors. Because bitterness never leads to the kind of solution that God wants. The only solution that leads us to what God wants is love, forgiveness, grace, the Spirit's work in us. And that will come to us only when we trust God. It's fascinating to me that when you get to the end of this psalm, as David has been pouring out his heart in agony and pain and struggle and honesty, when you get to the end of it, you would almost expect him to say, and God, I'm going to sit back and you better do what I told you. But he doesn't. Very last words. Lord, all this stuff is happening. I don't understand it. I certainly don't like it. Here's what I want you to do. But I trust you. It is the call of the gospel continually on us. We trust him. And it is a continual call of the gospel because it is hard. Our natural human desire and our natural human tendency is to lash out, to rescue, to do what we want to do in the way that we want to do it. The hardest thing in the world is to step back and to say, God, I don't understand it. I don't know why you're doing this, why you're letting this happen. I don't understand what's going on. But I trust you. 
We've all been there at one point or another. I remember times in my life where I wanted more than anything else to hang on to my anger and my bitterness and the spirit of vengeance toward the people who hurt me. I might not have wanted them to go to the grave alive, as David says, but I wanted them to feel the pain that I felt. And every time in those moments, the Holy Spirit comes to me and says, Wes, you can do that. You can live that way. But you realize where that path is going to take you, right? Or you can trust me. Whether you understand it or not, you can trust me. Here's the thing that I've found. Every time I trusted God, it never led me to feeling like I lost something. It always led me to joy. It always led me to freedom. And the freedom of being set free to forgive and to love is kind of beyond words. And you can't really know that unless we make the decision to trust. It seems ironic to me that this whole psalm is really about when your trust is broken. And the solution to that is to trust When you put yourself out there, when you trust people, and they hurt us, the answer is not to go into our shell or to try to run away or to fight back or to get vengeance. The answer is to trust. To trust that God is who he says he is. And that God can work in us just as he's working in others, in the world, in the situations and the circumstances in which we find ourselves. So whatever you're struggling, maybe struggling with today, maybe it's something that's just happened. If it's something that you've been hanging on to for a long, long time. Is today the day when you say, Lord, I want to let go of this. Give me grace to trust you. Help me to want to trust you. Maybe help me to want to want to trust you. Just change my heart. Father, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers and speak peace and forgiveness and grace to us.
Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for being who you are. And for wanting more for us than we even want for ourselves. Through Christ we pray. Amen.